Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 40 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. I have to start out today by admitting something. A week or two ago, I was just really feeling down. I don't know why exactly, whether it's the coming of summer and Andy being gone for another summer, or the fact that the two-year anniversary will be coming up in a couple of months, or just other frustrations in general with life in 2020. Anyway, I was feeling tired and wondering if doing the podcast was really the right thing anymore, whether it was really helping people in the way that I had wanted to help people. All in all, I guess I was just questioning, questioning whether this is what I was supposed to be doing with my life right now. Overall now, I'm glad I had those questions because I really got answers. I got answers right away. That day that I was having those doubts and feeling at my lowest, I had probably three or four different people reach out on different um, platforms, whether it was via email or Instagram or Facebook. Anyway, they all reached out with the same message, that they were thankful that I was doing the podcast and that was helping in their healing. That is really what I needed to hear. And then, not one day later, I do this interview. I have certainly felt inspired by many of the parents that I've spoken to over these past nine months. But I have to say, Hadley does stand out. I finished recording that day almost a week ago now and just felt better. I felt better about life, better about God, feeling more cared for than I had. I just need to say thank you to Hadley, to Dobbs and Reed's mom for sharing their story, for teaching me about forgiveness and teaching me what it looks like to live five years after the death of both of your sons. I know that you will all love listening to Hadley. I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So... Why don't you go ahead and just start telling your story and telling us about your boys. Yeah, my name's Hadley Eddings and um, I'm just about to turn 33. I started, and my husband and I got married really young. I mean, 21. So yeah. um, <laughs> we had our first son, um, Dobbs, when we were about 24, so 2013. And he was just 
kind of that typical first kid, like very well behaved, very self entertaining, extremely smart, very verbal, you know, was speaking in complete sentences at two years old. Wow. He had a lot, he was the first local grandchild. So he had lots and lots of attention, <laughs> lots of adult attention. So we always say like, it must be that, you know, he was just constantly talked to by adults. So he right. um, had great speech. <laughs> really, he was just a joy. He loved music. My husband at the time, not my husband at the time, at the time, <laughs> my husband was a worship leader for our church um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so very musical. He, Dobbs was very into drums. He loved the drums. He would play kind of like coffee stir sticks at church on the drums, like on the back of the seats at church. He loved the piano and the guitar. And so really into music and just, just a ball of light. Really. He was just, he brought joy to everybody. He was so fun and um, just a joy. So we had, we had him for two, almost two and a half years. Um, and mm -hmm. he was just precious just sweet. I mean, you know, he just like the most well-behaved, <laughs> easygoing, fun kid, really. Yeah. And then we were pregnant with our second son, Reed. Mm -hmm. We were really excited about having two little boys. We had just moved a little closer to where we worked and we're excited about having brothers and just yeah. trying to figure out that his name was Reed. That's my maiden name. It was kind of like my dream as a kid that I would have a son named Reed. Dobbs is named after my husband and his dad, Gentry Dobbs Edding. So he's he was a third. So you know, that's that's funny because my first son is was An Andrew Lee Larson and okay. his, you know, my husband's middle name is Lee. His dad's middle name is Lee. Okay. So they definitely wanted to go that. But my dream, my last name was Peterson. So okay. I had really wanted to have a Peter. Yeah. Have a Peter Thomas because all of the men in my family's middle name or first name was Thomas. Uh -huh. And then I wanted to do Peter for Peterson. But I, like you, I had to wait. I had yeah. to wait for the second <laughs> that, because that dad got priority exactly. using that Lee. And I thought if I use Peter Lee, it sounds like an adverb. I can't do yeah. Peter Lee. So, <laughs> so I too had to wait. So that's really funny. That's a similar that story. Yeah. So I had always, I mean, I think since, I ever started thinking about being a mom, which was young as a little girl, but um, yeah, I was like, I want to have a little boy named Reed. So he was uh -huh. Reed Michael after my dad. My dad's name was Michael. So um, yeah, so we were we were just anticipating, you know, life with dogs and mm -hmm. and two little, and another little boy on the way. So yeah, that's kind of where we were before everything changed. Yeah. So tell us about that. What happened? Yeah, so in 2015, May 20, well, that week, my husband's sister was getting married, and we were actually traveling to the beach, Topsail Beach in North Carolina, and so my husband got to take, I was a preschool teacher at the time, we were just about to finish up the school year, so I, my husband and Dobbs went to the beach with his family, and I came down like two days later, um, so mm -hmm. I could finish up my school year. And his sister was getting married and we were getting married at the beach house. So it was really kind of nice. We um, had the whole day of the, like the morning of the wedding, we, you know, decorated the house with flowers and the catering. It was a smaller wedding. So it was really just beautiful and intimate. You know, Dobbs got to spend a lot of time with Gentry's family that week. And, you know, long story short really is that we went after the day after the wedding, May 23rd, which is actually was our sixth wedding anniversary. We were um, 
driving home. So it's about, I want to say about four hours from Topsville to Charlotte area. We were driving home and we had stopped at a red light and we were hit by a truck going about 45 miles an hour. And my, actually we were caravanning. So because my husband and I had gone down separately, Dobbs and I were in my car and Gentry, my husband was in his car behind us. So he was hit first and then I was hit with Dobbs and then actually Gentry's parents hit. They were a hit by me actually in the, they were in front of me. So, wow. Yeah. It kind of slowed down. I mean, it's like a, almost a slow motion. I can remember while I, my car was spinning, like wondering what was happening. I turned around as, and I probably should backtrack a little bit. I know I've left out some details, but right before we were hit, we came to the stoplight and I really felt like the Lord said, tell Dobbs you love him. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, like that's an easy ask, yeah. Lord. It feels funny that you're telling me like, tell Dobbs you love him. So I reached back and looked at him and grabbed his little foot and I said, I love you, buddy. And then in a moment, I remember like tasting vomit in my throat because we had been hit so hard. And I was eight months pregnant. I was three weeks away from having our second son. So I was extremely pregnant. And I remember kind of the slow motion spinning and like wondering what, what's happening. The car came to a stop and I looked backwards to check on dogs. And what I now believe is just the Lord protecting me and, and my eyes. Yeah. I remember all I could see was gray. Like I couldn't really even see. And I turned around and there was a man helping me get out of my car. And that's when I realized that my husband's car was flipped upside down in the median and he was, they were getting him out of his car. And that's kind of when things started to like come back to like, okay, what just happened? He yeah. was very, very um, distraught. And we were at an intersection where there was a gas station and there just happened to be a fire truck fueling up. Wow. So we had first responders on the scene of our accident within seconds, really. So they were there, you know, immediately trying to cut the top off of my car and get dogs out and see what they figure out, you know, what was going on with him. And then they were there to get Gentry. He had 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 a laceration to the back of his head. I was pretty fine. I had like, you know, been in this car accident, but I didn't have any physical injuries on the outside. And so I just remember we were in the median sitting, watching all of this take place. They're trying to cut Dobbs out of the car and Gentry is Gentry and I are sitting there and the, the ambulance had gotten there at this point and our, all of our families there because we're all caravanning home together. All of Gentry's family, my family was not there. So the ambulance is like, listen, you know, Gentry's bleeding from his head and Hadley is eight months pregnant. We've got to get you guys to the hospital. And so at the time I was told that they could hear Dobbs's voice, which I think is not true. I think that that was kind of, they were just saying like, they wanted me to stay calm because I was pregnant and going into, I don't know, shock or something would be terrible. Right. For Reed. So we got in the ambulance and started that drive. And I remember my husband, they had me sitting up. My husband was laying on the stretcher in the middle of the ambulance. And I just remember he started to sing it as well with my soul, which is a hymn. If you don't know. Oh, I know that. Listening. Yeah. If anyone listening doesn't know, it's a, it's 
a hymn that was written by a man who lost his entire family and I did not know that yeah on a on a ship I believe it's an interesting story and I don't want to tell it because I'll probably tell it wrong but you should look that up but when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot that was taught me to say it as well as well with my soul and I remember my husband started to sing that song like I told you he's a worship leader so music is just his outlet and I remember thinking like I do not want to sing this song yeah it's not going to be well with my soul if something bad happens uh-huh you know I honestly I could not listen to that song for a very long time and it made me angry every time I heard that song I had a friend that would send me songs because she knew that music is very important to me too I actually sing in the worship or sang in the worship band in my church I don't anymore but that song she sent me a couple times different versions right and I couldn't even listen to it because I was like it is not well with my soul there is nothing well with my soul and I can listen to it now but it took it took a while. So I can understand your feeling because I had the exact same feeling with that song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I love that song and it's a beautiful song, but even to this day, I think, you know, I don't know if it's fully well with my soul or the meaning behind it, but it's hard for that. It's hard to sing that and mean it really. Yes. I don't, I can't sing it and mean it yet. And I really hope that someday I will be able to. I really do. It's one of my, biggest hopes I would say but can't do it quite yet (laughs) not what I wanted so we are in the ambulance and when we get there we have to be separated because Gentry has to go get his head stitched up and I am eight months pregnant so they rush me into the ER and immediately there's I mean I can't count the number of nurses and doctors and helpers in there and they're flipping me and moving me and trying to find a heartbeat for Reed and they really can't find one and finally, they do get a heartbeat, but they're like, it's very slow. We need to deliver you by emergency C-section. So I'm like, okay. So they, I remember them telling me, like, we don't have time to give you any kind of numbing. Like, you're just going to have to go under for this surgery because we don't have yeah. time. For them. I said, okay. So that happened. Reed was born and he was immediately taken to the NICU. And my husband was there. He, after he had his head stitched up, his family came in. And he had been given the news that Dobbs did not survive the car crash. So he was given that news by himself? With his dad. His dad was there. His dad was the one to be able to tell him. So Uh, his parents were okay? mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They kind of got the tail end of all of the... Sure. mm -hmm. So, and then, like, his sister was in front of his parents, and then actually one of his other sisters was behind us. So we were kind of the middle part that got the worst part of the accident and so his parents were there when we left to go to the hospital and his parents stayed there and his sisters and things like that so did they know at the time on the road yet or did they get Dobbs to the hospital I'm just curious no I believe he was instantly killed yeah that's why I think that them telling me that they could hear his voice was just trying to keep me calm so that Reed had better chance yeah um, and Andy was killed on the side of the road too, and they they told us they never, you know, they they tried to resuscitate him at the site, but they never took him to the hospital. Yeah, they just yeah just went to the. Uh, Dobbs was taken to, well, we were out of town, so he was, his body was in the hospital, but um, yeah. yeah. So his dad 
told him, and then I was in surgery, just coming out of surgery. So Gentry got to go see Reed before he came to tell me. And he always says that, you know, like Reed just grabbed his finger and kind of slowly looked at him. And that's a special moment that he had with Reed. And then he had to come tell me. And I just, I remember laying in the hospital bed and kind of like, you know, just coming out of anesthesia. And I remember my husband and his dad were standing there. I think his mom was there too on my right. And I, my immediate question was, how's Dobbs? And he said, Dobbs in the arms of Jesus. And um, I just, I mean, I know that you know this feeling, but I just remember it was like a gut scream. No. Oh, yeah. The worst possible thing you could ever hear, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. When I saw them working on Andy, all I kept doing was screaming, please, God, please, God, please, God, yeah. over yeah. and over, because you just beg. You just beg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I remember screaming and then I don't really remember anything else for a while after that. I, I feel like I almost blacked out or something or they gave me some medicine or what, but I don't know. And the next thing I remember is being like in the ICU with my parents and my aunt and uncle were there. And I remember asking about the truck driver. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking, wow, like how, what would it feel like to yeah. be, to be that man and to know that you caused your yep. parents to lose their child. And I just remember thinking I would feel terrible and I felt bad for him because, you know, I knew it was not intentional, but right. So then we're in the hospital and, and we've got Reed to focus on cause he's not doing well. He had a brain bleed and after some, you know, thought process and the doctors thought he needs to have surgery and this is not the place for him to have it. So they, had him airlifted to Chapel Hill. I was in a hospital called New Hanover Medical Center. I think that's what it's called. And it was kind of a smaller hospital. They wanted to fly him to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where there, where he could have a better chance, I guess, at being operated on. And, mm-hmm. you know, the long story short is that they had gotten a helicopter and flown Reed to Chapel Hill. And we were still in New Hanover. They were trying to figure out a way for us to get there quickly without having to drive the two hours or whatever it was with me just still recovering and I got a phone call from the doctor in Chapel Hill and he just she actually said we want you guys to get here as soon as possible we can't operate on Reed like he's not gonna make it I'm so sorry and um so it was like going through that same yeah no 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 moment again so hung up the phone and the hospital where we were, were, they were the most, just the most incredible people. They had found, they had to search all over for a helicopter that was big enough to take Gentry and I together at the same time to Chapel Hill. And they did. And so we got picked up and our families all drove down. At this point, my parents are here and my sister and had all gotten up to where we were at the hospital. And so they all drove to Chapel Hill. My poor sister-in-law, whose wedding was the day before, you know, they turned around from their honeymoon and came home and so we had our entire family really was there with us so we got to Chapel Hill and Reed like his vital started to improve a little bit so we were starting to like oh well what's this going to be like is there is there some hope but um really after a lot of examination and things we found out probably not 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 looking good Mm -hmm. um, I remember 
we had been put in this private room with Reed and my husband had stepped out for a minute to get a sandwich or something. And I remember sitting there and Reed's hooked up to all of these machines and tubes and all of stuff. And I just remember sitting in the rocking chair and rocking him and thinking like, Lord, I don't know how to make this decision. This is never something I wanted to have to do to know what do I, do I take him off of this support? Will he ever have a chance at living life without some machine keeping him alive or how's this going to work? And I remember just rocking him and saying, Lord, you got, you have to make this decision for me. I can't do it. Yeah. And at that moment, um, we were kind of waiting on the neurologist to come in. And a few minutes later, she and Gentry and the doctor came in and she just kind of looked over Reed and she, um, he looked at his little eyes and she said, I'm so sorry, which, you know, I had just sat there and said, Lord, you got to make this decision for me. And he did. And I'm thankful that I didn't necessarily have to make it. So we were actually surrounded by some really incredible doctors at the time too, that had shared their faith with us. And so it just felt very encouraging to be in that point in, in that environment. So we had our families got to come in and they got to hold Reed and spend some time with him before we started to take him off of all of the different machines. Mm-hmm. And we just slowly did that. And it was just me and Gentry and the doctors in there. And I got to hold him as he took his last little breath and, you know, went to, went to be with the Lord. And it's something that I would say is like one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. But um, as a mom, you know, to be able to bring my child into this world, to hold him while he left this world was my biggest yeah. honor, honor. And, and I what never, you didn't get with Dobbs, right? Yeah. I, I never saw Dobbs again. Yeah. You know, but you know that you would do anything for your kids, even if it causes you the most pain. So I would never want to give that away to anybody else. And it's, it's a terrible memory, but it's also a very treasured memory. Mm-hmm. His mommy got to hold him while he was Jesus yeah. I was, uh, I, in the accident, lost consciousness and lost probably about 30 minutes, I'd say, and came to just to see them working on him. So it is something I long for and wish that I had, right? Been able to say goodbye and hold him one more time. And so I feel you. I yeah. feel you there. Yeah. Yeah. I remember asking to see dogs in they said, you know, you can, I don't know if it's a good idea. Yeah. My dad said like, let me go see him and I'll, I'll tell you if I think it's okay. Yeah. And so he did. And and he said, you know, he looks like dogs, but I don't think, I don't want that to be how you remember him. Yeah. So, you know, we ultimately decided not, not to view him again. After, after Reed had passed away, we were, we were still in the hospital for like a day. We, you know, had to think about, okay, now we're going home. Yeah. So we actually went, we obviously have no car because both of our cars were in the car accident. And my parents drove us back to their house. They live about two hours from us. And we stayed there for a couple of days before we went home. And Gentry and I are both kind of those people where we're like, if we know we have something hard sitting in front of us, we're kind of one of those, like, rip the Band-Aid off. Like, let's just do it. Mm-hmm. 
And so I couldn't stay at my parents anymore. I said, I've got to go home. I can't, I can't have this like idea of going home and losing it, sitting in my mind, just waiting for me. You know, it's like the anticipation is too hard. So we both, we spent, I don't know, maybe two or three days at my parents' house. And then we drove one of their cars back to our house. And um, we had a lot of news coverage around our, sure, around our story. Yep. We did too. Yeah. We had neighbors telling us like, don't come home yet because there's, there's newscasters coming, knocking on your door. Like, yep. Um, actually the first night we were out of the hospital, we had to stay in the hotel and I remember turning the TV on and my face was on the TV and I just, that moment I'm like, what, what is happening? Is this me? You know, that was so, it was so strange, but I remember I had a prescription to pick up at the, our local target and you're just like, let's just let somebody else get that. And I'm like, no, I'm going, I'm doing it. You know, like I'm walking in, I just walked in with my head down and I grabbed it and I walked out. I just, it was like, I had to prove to myself that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I'm like that, but that, that was it's the same thing. I had to like prove to myself that I could go home. And, so and you went, feel like everybody's looking at you, don't you? Okay. I mean, because, uh, you know, we were on every newscast too for days right and it would be yeah fortunately we had um a woman at our church who was in one of the news stations and she reached out right away and said you need to get you need to assign someone to be the spokesperson for your family so my good good friend michelle was that and could speak to the media so we didn't have to so that helped a little bit the media did come we had a big funeral of course and then there's a big gardens called frederick meyer gardens that is where um, we had a luncheon afterwards um, instead of at our church because our church was under construction and it was just huge and there were tons of people there and the media came to that and then my son sang too a lot you'll hear at the end of the podcast uh, he had a solo verse of Away in the Manger that he sang. He was in the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys. And so as a huge group of hundreds of people, we sang that. If you know that verse, it's talking about being in heaven with Jesus. Okay. Anyway, we all then sang that as a group. And then, of course, that was on the news because they recorded me and us kind of leading that and interviewed the choir director but it's it is you feel like everybody knows um yeah yeah so it's hard yeah thankfully our pastor at the time had a radio show at one of our local news stations that he did Uh and so we when we did eventually did an interview and when we had news coverage we allowed that station to be around more often than anyone else because he had people there that he trusted and knew would kind of treat us right and that kind of thing and so that was helpful to have someone kind of close to some of the news casters and stations that could kind of guide us like this Mm -hmm. is a good person you know she'll she'll do a good job with you but yeah so we got home and then it was like, okay, now there has to be a memorial and a funeral and all of that. And 
obviously walking into a house where you once had little kids and now you don't is incredibly quiet. That was strange. You know, I just remember lying in Dobbs' bed crying and, you know, it's just, it's almost those, those early days are so fuzzy and, and just so um, a lot of it's just like out of body experience. Like you feel like you're someone else looking in on, on yourself, right? <laughs> um, watching yourself go through something you never dreamed that someone would go through. Um, but thankfully we get home, my dad and, um, my dad had helped us do a lot of the funeral arrangements and things like that. So that was really helpful. So we had a private, just family only, um, graveside service and our, and our, our pastor did the service and just our family was there. And then the next day we had a memorial service at our church, mm-hmm. which was for the community as well. And so because we were a part, because my husband worked for such a large church, it was, I think that's another reason the news had gotten so involved, but it was, you know, we probably had a thousand people there. Mm-hmm. We had our, uh, you know, my husband was a worship leader. So we had every campus of our church had their worship leader lead the worship. So they had this whole band and we just said, you know, Dobbs loved church and he loved worship time. And he, you know, we were like, Dobbs wouldn't want this to be sad. I mean, it is sad, but Dobbs wouldn't want this to be somber. And I, we think he would want it to be like church. He would want to be able to hit his coffee stirrer drumsticks on the back of the seat. And so that's what we did. We had taught Dobbs the song, How Great Thou Art, as a kid. Well, I guess he was only two, but we sang that to him every night. And so he knew every word. So we had that song playing. And then I know that you had mentioned to me about your son having the Psalm 4610 being his Bible verse. And as a preschool teacher at a church, we always taught our class every month we had a Bible verse. And so Dobbs got to be like in on that because I was a teacher and we had taught him be still and know that I'm God. Psalm 4610. So th- when you said is that that Bible verse, that Bible verse is probably in every room of my house. Yeah. The day before Dobbs passed away, we were getting ready for my sister-in-law's wedding and Gentry and I had kind of like gotten we had no time. We were like, we had been helping get everything together so much that we were kind of rushing to get ready, getting a little crazy and, and, you know, snippy with each other. And Dobbs stopped in our room and he had never said the verse before. If it wasn't for like a piece of candy or <laughs> right. you know, all the attention on request. Yeah. Upon request. Yeah. Yes. So we were just, he was in there with us and we were kind of running around like crazy. And all of a sudden he just stops and says, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46. Then. And that's like humbling as a parent, like, okay, calm yourself down. (laughs) We're going to be okay. Let's do this. Um, But that eventually, you know, I mean, for the next day, that, that verse has carried us through the last five years really in, in lots of different ways. But so that verse, yeah, that verse was on their little funeral memorial service program. And there was a long video of Dobbs and, and, the few pictures and things that we have of Reed and my husband was able, I don't know why he wanted to do this, but he knew that he was going to give the eulogy and I was like, you don't have to do this. You you know, you don't have to. And he's like, no, I'm giving it. I'm, this is my son. These are my sons. I'm doing this. 
And in that, he was able to honor Dobbs and Reed. And he also publicly forgave the truck driver. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the part of this, of, of our story that a lot of people have hung on to is that, is that we would forgive him. And, you know, Gentry and I had talked about it and, and, you know, like I said, in the beginning, I kept thinking, how would this, I can't imagine how this man must feel like, you know, how terrible he must feel. And so, you know, we weren't angry at him. We were heartbroken at the situation Mm -hmm. and we had decided that we wanted to forgive him and that, you know, we have been forgiven of much and, and by God and, you know, Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven and and we have much to be forgiven for. So um, we decided that we wanted to forgive him and my husband said it publicly. And that was, that's a bigger part of our story. Um, Being able to, it's, I mean, you know, and, and I, I help, um, I talk with moms in this project that I'm a part of and, and forgiveness is hard. And so I'm grateful that God has made that part of my story easier for me. Yeah. You know, I think every part, everybody's different. And so, you know, I don't look at other people who have walked through accidents and say, you know, if they're not at the point where they can forgive somebody yet, like mm-hmm. there's no judgment there. So I never want somebody to feel like that, but that was the part of our story that seemed to be surprising and, and what the media seemed to catch on to. Were there charges brought against the driver? Eventually, yeah, there were. So it gets like after, you know, we had to obviously have an attorney and that kind of thing. And what we ended up finding out was that this guy who was actually our age had not slept the night before, really, that he possibly was texting while driving and that he had traces of acetylfentanyl in his system, which at the time was legal. Okay. It became illegal like a month after the car accident. But they're pretty sure that, you know, that was, they typically lace, I guess, heroin with that um, to kind of, I don't know, make it cheaper or something. I don't, I don't know all the details. So we did find out that there were traces of that in his system. He was extremely sorry. We, we got to meet with him. Mm-hmm. He was, he did not protest at all he said I'll take my punishment he went to prison for a year it was supposed to be three I think and and he got out for a year because he was you know had good behavior and that kind of thing but yeah so we did end up finding out some harder news but that was probably a few months after Mm -hmm. everything and then maybe September or so we had to go to court and that's when um, he went he had to go to prison for a year that's hard. The court. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was. It, I just remember like, I just, we got Gentry and I both got to speak to him. Uh huh. You know? And so that was, that was good for my heart to just want to just be able to tell him, I'm not angry at you. I think what you did was wrong, but you know, we forgive you. And to be able to tell him that face to face and to say, you know, I think he had a hard life. Mm-hmm. And so, and my husband got to address him too. And I don't, I have not spoken to him or heard from him in since that day, but I have heard and seen a video that I think he, when he got out, I think he struggled a little bit. And then he, um, I watched a video of him after he had really gotten healthy and clean and all that. 
he'd gone to a rehab center and he has given like his testimony. And he said that, you know, I promised that family that I would live a better life for their child. And so I just had, he had to get his life together and he did. And I believe that he has committed his life to Christ and he looks healthy and has gotten him, you know, has, has worked really hard to get his life on track and, and, and do better. So that, that was encouraging. We found that out maybe around three years after the accident. So, oh. I admire you for being able to forgive so easily. My, my husband was like that. Yeah. He forgave her immediately and just absolutely immediately. And I just could not. Yeah. And it was much more of a struggle for me. Yeah. She was distracted in some way. We will never know what yeah. she was doing. She didn't say what she was doing. She was with her 14-year-old son actually in the car. They were going to the same baseball game. So they should have also been in the exit lane. So I have no yeah. idea why she was going 60 miles an hour. But I just had a hard, hard time. And I said to my husband, I need to know that she's sorry. Yeah. Because, you know, I didn't, right? We didn't see yeah. her. There would be court things, and but they would keep us very separate. They would put her before the judge, and they would have us in a separate room. And I just kept saying, I just need her to be sorry. If she's sorry, I think I can forgive her. If she's not, I don't know that I can. And my husband would keep saying, you need to forgive her anyway. If she's sorry, if she's not sorry, you need to forgive her for you right because to hold that anger inside of me that's not me Mm -hmm. so that was that was hard and it did take a while like close to a year when she was at her sentencing which she just got um I think 200 hours of community service and lost her license so she didn't actually go to jail But I did find out at that time that she had spent some time in a psychiatric hospital under suicide watch because she did feel so badly. Mm -hmm. And so that day, I mean, by that time, I had forgiven her because I had found out that information. And I hugged her that day. I hugged her that day in court because then I really, truly did. And it's amazing what that forgiveness does for you. Yeah. Because I felt like I couldn't really start to heal when that anger was in my heart. Right, right. And I needed it gone. And once that anger was totally gone, it was really life-changing. So it's awesome that you were able to do that so quickly. Yeah, I think I had been um, probably when we we first got married, I had had a, a friendship that was hard. And I was very bitter about the way that it kind of worked out. And, you know, it took me a really long time to get over that and to forgive it and work through it. And I remember our pastor at the time, one of the things that he would say a lot of times is holding a grudge or being, you know, having um, bitterness or not being able to forgive. is kind of like taking the poison and expecting somebody else to die. And that it, cause it is, it really, it's like, it doesn't affect them. It affects you. And oh. it is like, it is, I remember being like waking up every morning, like just seething. I was mad. And this is about something different. This isn't even about, and you know, I don't know if maybe the Lord had me go through something like that earlier so that I would remember how terrible it felt to to be holding this grudge against somebody, you know, even to this, I, I, I just believe that it's from God that he had given me that ability to, 
to forgive early on because today there are things like my husband and I'll get in an argument or whatever. And sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm much less likely to forgive you than I was this other way more impactful thing that happened in my life. And it surprises me sometimes. So I just know that God was really softening my heart because I think God used our story and Dobbs and Reed's lives for a lot of great things in the last five years. And maybe that was just the beginning, you know, the softening. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I said, I'm grateful that it has been, that part has been easy, but I don't think that anyone should expect that to be easy. In some ways, I really wish I would have been able to be like my husband. I mean, it was hard for me to to see him be so open and forgiving and like why can't you just be mad at her I just want to be mad at her you know I would see I see a white BMW which is what she drove I mean I would get angry seeing a white BMW I would get anxious seeing anyone that looked remotely like her I you know all of those things so it's bad that in that way that it took really nine or ten months for me to really forgive her but on the other hand I do value it a lot because I did go through that that hard time and feeling that anger for a long time that I so do value forgiveness now in some ways I have not a lot of patience for people that hold a grudge now right I went I went to my bible study afterwards and someone was you know complaining about her sister and arguments and it just gets me almost upset because like you need you just need to forgive you don't understand how powerful that is and how important that is well you know how freeing it is yeah yourself it really is and I think I think the the thing that you'll probably take away from it too is just that as you continue this podcast or as you have the opportunity to help other parents walk through child loss and grief, you know, you can connect on a level if they're struggling with that, you know, um, you can remember what it was like to have to walk through that and when it, when you could eventually forgive and how, so, you know, I think sometimes that is something that I'm like, wow, it's, it's harder for me to connect on that level. I understand why you yes. can't forgive. Yes. But you've been able to walk through it being more difficult. And so it's going to help somebody, you know. It's helped me professionally as a pediatrician, honestly. I'm sure. I'm sure. With relationships with families and how siblings can be angry with each other or parents can be upset with their teens or all of that. It has given me such compassion mm-hmm. to think about things differently now and really let go of things. I I think I can be more helpful than I was before just having gone through that kind of trauma, really. So it's it's a huge lesson for me and hopefully can help others in that. So what are some other things that you felt like you've really learned through this or can take away? Well, you know, I think something that I'm reminded of daily is that this is not my home. Yeah. So I have a a heavenly hope and I grieve knowing that 
it's going to be okay in the end, which is hard. Some days it's easier to say that and, and mean it. And then some days I like, why, why me? Mm-hmm. Um, why our family, you know? So as obviously my husband and I are Christians. And so, so we believe that Dobbs and Reed are in heaven and that we will see them again one day. So that is, that gives us a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I hold on to every day. You know, there was certainly a time after the accident where I wanted to know why I didn't get taken to. Mm-hmm. Why did you leave me here? Like, you know, why didn't you just take all of us? Right. So definitely that has been something that has been more in the forefront of my mind than ever was as before, before this. Another thing is I know that even though this has been something terrible, uh, there's been a lot of good that has come from it. Um, come out of it. And I'm, and I'm happy to honor my children to continue the goodness um, and to continue their legacy and their, and their memory. Um, you know, I never want people to forget. I think, yeah, I, I want them to be remembered. And I think as we get further and further out from this accident, that's one of the harder things for me is that I don't want to be forgotten because I'm, I'm the mom. I'm the, and my husband's the dad, you know, it's like, we still live with this every day and we're five years out now, just as of a couple weeks ago. And you start to feel a little bit like maybe your time's up for public grieving or for, or for talking about them or, or whatever. And at the same time, you don't care because you don't want people to forget the, the them or the hurt that resides in your heart permanently. Yeah. That can be hard. I think, cause you've gone on to have other children, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's what I say. Like when I talk about, you know, I know that this has been, this is like our, we have, God uses all the bad things. He hates them, but he's going to use them for good. And we've seen that so many times in, in the two biggest ways have been that right after our accident, we had a, someone set up a GoFundMe and it raised lots and lots of money and we were able to pay our medical bills. And then we were able to donate the rest of it to an organization in Haiti called Mission of Hope Haiti. And our church has worked with them for years. And so we built a school in Haiti and it educates 500 children. It gives them a meal every day, which is um, in Haiti is just not the case is not normal. Um, and it gives them a Christian education and it's called the Dobbs and Reed Edding primary school. Oh. So, and it's just, it's actually incredible how they came across the land that they got to build the school on, but it really looks like a land you would want to build resort on. Like it's in a bay and it's gorgeous. But so we've been able to visit there and it's been incredible just knowing that like, you know, even though it hurts and even though Dobbs and Reed are not with us anymore, 500 children every year are getting educated and getting fed and, and something that we wouldn't have been able to offer before that. So I'm, I'm thankful that God has used that for good. I love how you said God hates it, but because I think that's an important key that a lot of people um, don't think about. They think about like, yeah, okay, so God made this happen so good things would happen. Right. right. No, I don't. Yeah. And I and I can't think that. And yeah. anyway, I'm. I think that's healthier to think. No, God mm-hmm. didn't want this to happen, and God yeah. mourned this with us. Yeah. But 
good things can happen right in spite of it yeah like we live in a fallen world god can't make us love him because that doesn't forcing someone to love you doesn't make a good relationship so god has allowed us to choose and that means bad things happen and if you think about it from a parent perspective like your kids walk through hard times it's not you're not happy about it you're going to do your best to help them out of it and and to bring something good out of their their frustration or their pain or or whatever it is and so that's kind of how I have to view it. He didn't make this happen. It happened. And now he's going to, he's going to help pick his kids back up and, and put us on the, on the right path and, and help us work through it. Um, just like you would want to help your kids as a parent. Yeah. It's just so key to think of it that way because yeah. I had so many of my friends, I've mentioned this in the past, say, oh, God's going to use this for good. His memorial service was so christ-centered you brought so many people to christ you might and like at the time i did not care right really i did not i just wanted my boy and and i remember having talks with my pastor that were so helpful to say no god is weeping with you yeah yeah, and I, I have to think of God weeping with me and not that God pulled these strings, made her get hit so that down the road, right. somebody's sister came to Christ and somebody's whatever, right. which I know those things have happened. And those are great blessings that happened. But the, the death itself is worth weeping over. Right, right. Yeah. Would I choose it? Even if I knew all these good things were happening, no. No. So. No, we wouldn't choose it. We wouldn't choose it. But I am glad that blessings can come of it, for sure. I am. Yes. Yeah. That that it doesn't have to just remain bad, that there could be something good. And and I mean, I think the best thing, the, the most encouraging thing for me is just that watching the good things happen is like watching my children do good things, like you know, they're remembered and they're celebrated and, and their lives are still bringing about good, even if they're not alive here on earth. So that encourages me. So that's probably like the, the school, the elementary school, the primary school is, was just an incredible thing to be able, be able to be a part of and watch come out of this. And then probably a year and a half after the accident, you know, we had been like, are we going to have more kids? We want to do this. And I'd always said like, I just can't imagine not being a mom. Like, I, I feel like I have to be a mom. And so I've been, it was just kind of scary to think about, about trying to go down that road again. And would it honor Dobbs and Reed? And would, what would they think? And, and I kind of just struggled with it for a long time. And then it was like something flipped one day. And I was like, they would be happy if Dobbs and Reed were here. And we said, Hey, we're going to have another baby. They would be excited. They'd be big brothers. Right. So why wouldn't they be happy for us now why wouldn't it be exciting for them now so we did we got pregnant and uh, we guess we found out we got to have our first ultrasound in right around Christmas time of 2016 and that morning that we were having the ultrasound I walked into my husband's office and you know I said how are you and he said I'm just kind of feeling sad today because he was reading Psalm 127 talks about children are a heritage of the Lord blessed is the man whose quiver is full and he said you know, I'm just thinking like, man, like I had two sons and now and my quiver was getting full and now it's not. And, and I'm just kind of sad about that. And um, I said, well, I bet we're going to find out we're having twins today. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and Okay. Whatever you say. 
Because there was no that? reason to think you were having twins, right? No. No. That So I'm like kind of a type A personality. Twins doesn't really sound like something I'd like to tackle. <laughs> um, I want things to be smooth and easy and, and not have to, you know, it just didn't, it was never something I wanted, dreamed of, or was hoping for. But I just had this feeling like we're going to have twins. And I was excited about it. Like I just felt, yeah. I remember we got to the ultrasound and I was laying on the table. I looked up at the screen because she was starting to, to do the ultrasound. I looked at the screen and I looked away. And in my head, I thought, don't be disappointed if there's not two babies in there. I'm like, who am I? <laughs> I love kids, but I'm like, I want to do one at a time, you know, that kind of thing. So I remember looking away because I was afraid I was going to be disappointed if there was just one. And she goes, oh, it's twins. And I mean, of course the room just erupts in laughter and tears. And I'm yeah. like, do you know our story? And she said, I do. <laughs> it's like, yeah. crazy. So, you know, we're just, and then later to find out that they were boys and just kind of like made it a little sweeter, like God's not replacing. And I think that's the thing that we always try to like, make sure we drill yes. in people. It's like, it's not a replacement for Dobson Reed. This is, this is restoration of our story. Mm-hmm. They are part of the story just as much as Dobson Reed are. Yes. You know, it, it's a, it's a double blessing, a double portion. Um, yes. But oh, definitely yeah. we talk about their brothers all the time. They're, so they're twin boys. Their names are Isaiah Dobbs and Amos Reed. And they're about to be three. And they talk about Dobbs and Reed all the time. We have their pictures, you know, on the wall. And they know that's my brother. They always ask me, like, was this toy Dobbs? <laughs> was this Dobbs's toy? Oh, that used to be Dobbs's toy. I'm like, I know. Just seeing, just feeling blessed. Yeah. And in a way that like God would just make it like just he just cares and he just makes it sweet and just even down to the fact that they would be boys. And let me tell you, these kids, they see pictures of Dobbs and they ask if it's them or if it's Dobbs. Really? <laughs> Look just like him, except for they have blue eyes instead of brown. But um obviously yeah, my boys look just the same and um, um I've been told what a blessing that will be. Yeah. When Peter grows up, because I'll know exactly what Andy would have looked like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had never even thought of it like that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you will be the same. You will be yeah. able to know what Dobbs would have looked like. Yeah. And Reed actually looked a lot like before he really started to swell and stuff in his face. He really did favor Dobbs as well. So he was a little blonder. And their personalities are, we always say, like, we think they're probably like a blend of what Dobbs and Reed would have like what their personalities was because they're both so like witty and funny like Dobbs but they're also a little more strong-willed and we think that's probably what Reed would have been like (laughs) yeah oh well thank you so much for telling your story today I really appreciated it I love being able to hear these stories yeah it's as a parent that has to walk through something like this it's I always tell people I'm like I hate that you're in this club with me but I'm encouraged that I know that you, I know the things that I feel I'm not alone in. Yeah. I wish you didn't feel it too, but it's encouraging to, to be able to lean on each other and, and to have someone, I think that's another thing. It's just, there's not going to be a lot of people who understand exactly what you're walking through or exactly what the pain is unless they've gone through it themselves. And so I think talking with bereaved parents is, there's just some kind of connection there where they kind of, they get it a little more mm-hmm. than, yes. than the average. 
even though people are so helpful and, and loving and kind. Um, it's different with other bereaved parents, though. Yeah, they, they won't fully get it. But... All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.